0: Stop it! Don't open that door! Hello everybody and welcome to episode 29 of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. As the poet said, don't call this a comeback. We've been here for years. (laughs) Well, we've actually only been here for a year and change, and and the change was really just dead air, but we're not going to talk about that. And you may be wondering, why the hell is this episode 29? The last episode I heard, four months ago, was episode 26. Well, that's because there's two unreleased episodes that might find its way to a B-sides somewhere down the road, because I'm too lazy to edit them. (laughs) So, with that out of the way, let's get back into Masters of Unlocking. What the hell is Masters of Unlocking, you're probably asking, because you probably don't remember by now. We are a different kind of video game podcast. One of us is an author, YouTuber, and game lover. That's him over there, Mr. Caleb J. Ross. Yay! And the other one of us, me, I am a game collector, recovering game store owner, and, uh... I like to delve into the business and economics of video gaming. Caleb is all about the wacky and wild and the psychology of video gaming. The sweet science. Oh, sweet, sweet science. (laughs) Together we make this crazy podcast, Masters of Unlocking. What do we have for you this episode, you ask? Well, we've got legal news, Bethesda and loot boxes. We've got cool stuff going away news. Oh, Mm. sad. Mm. Steam Link, Game Guides, and Sony's E3 presence. But we're going to temper that with cool stuff that's coming. That's Resident Evil movie reboot. Mm. Hmm. Skyward Sword for the Nintendo Switch. And a discless Xbox One console? Question mark? (laughs) Caleb, it is just past Black Friday, Mm -hmm. just past Cyber Monday. Mm -hmm. What did you do for Thanksgiving and the retail season
1: that followed? Oh, my goodness. It's been this is this for me, what used to be as a child, a sort of beta Christmas has become more important than Christmas, Um, man, there were some great deals uh, out there and I, I'm not a collector, although Scott tells me I'm getting dangerously close with mm-hmm. my ever growing PlayStation Four controller collection. I will call that a collection. you know, I'll go so far as to say I do collect PlayStation Four controllers. I feel that's a a weird thing to collect. Um, and that's probably more my style. Well, this uh, was the season to collect PlayStation 4 controllers, let me tell you. And what's weird is I actually didn't buy any of those <laughs> of <What>? those deals. <laughs> I know. I'm probably going to hold out more for the two-for-one deals that they have at um, GameStop um, because I can get them for a little bit cheaper. I did buy one controller, actually, which uh, I will save for the pickup section. But yeah, for this holiday, I, I took a trip down to Texas, uh, and I found out that my brother-in-law, who we had Thanksgiving with lives about 10 or 15, 20 or so minutes from the National Video Game Museum in Frisco, Texas, which I have been to before, but now I will be revisiting every couple of years, uh, which I'm actually super, super excited about. Like that, I, I my brother-in-law's great, love him to death, uh, but this is another reason to make that terrible, terrible nine-hour journey. Um, so I, I that's where I played, uh, that, that's where I, I spent uh, Thanksgiving was a lot of fun um got to play some switch in the car with my friend with my friend well my son he's my friend too uh with my son on the way down there which is something that I'm I I, that's a memory equally for me as it is for him I know that he'll look back and think I love playing video games in the car with my dad um on these long drives so that was that was a lot of fun for me How, how was yours before we get into mine, what did nope. you two play on the, <laughs> on the trek through Texas? Yeah, so we played primarily Mario Kart. Um, he uh, that that was kind of the only really multiplayer game that we have that um, he also enjoys. Um, I did put in a pre-order for Smash Brothers Ultimate. Um, I'm not a Smash Brothers fan, uh, but if we had that at the time, I, I think he's going to really really dig that. So we played that, um, and then that, yeah that was actually we did play a little bit of Mario Party. Um, on the switch and that's fun and all, but it just doesn't have the sort of excitement that, uh, Mario Kart does. Yeah. I feel like most Mario party games require alcohol. <laughs> Probably. You're right. And uh, no, don't get me wrong. I was hammered in the car the whole way. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was driving and I was playing the switch with my son. So, uh, you know, I was safe, but it's best
0: if, mo- <laughs> if everybody playing is drunk. So, oh no, he was hammered too. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Well He's... then I don't understand why you guys didn't have fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, come on, he he's ten for Christ's sake. Of course, he's hammered. Yeah, yeah, and he's my son, so f- even more. Of course, he's hammered. No, for the record, he he was not drunk. I told you about <laughs> my
0: friends who one of their children's first words was "wishy," right? No, yeah. <laughs> but that sounds awesome. Yeah. It, it's great, and he listens to this podcast. So, um, <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, was it?
1: Was it? A purposefully, we're trying to get this kid to say whiskey, or was it? Well, um. Tim, That's just Tim talked really, about a lot. Tim really <laughs>
0: likes Crown Royal. That's like his. He's not a big drinker at all, which makes it even more hilarious. But like <laughs> the only thing he drinks is Crown. Like the only alcohol he drinks. Like the rest of it just makes him sick. Mm-hmm. But hmm. well, so, yeah, if you have to drink enough of it. All right. alcohol is going to make you sick. <laughs> I've got a tip for thing. you, Tim. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he he's got uh, he's got four kids, and one of his youngest, I think it was his youngest, is a set of twins. Um, and I think I think it was his the, the it's a boy and a girl, the twins, and I think it was the the boy who oddly enough is named Caleb. So maybe oh, this is a Caleb. Good name. Thing. Maybe this is a Caleb thing. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah, he he his first word was wishy. And uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's awesome. And you know those kids, all of their tiny little pink muscleman <laughs> figures are being kept in velvety purple. Bags, I would imagine, right? Oh yeah,
0: yep. We yeah. had like we were big D and D players back in the day. Oh, it's right? a perfect, and, yeah. Perfect and it sack. was the every one of us, our dice bags was a crown royal purple. Oh, bag. that's yep. perfect. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh yeah, as a kid, I loved containers. Actually, I think. We may have talked about this on the podcast before, but, like, I have sort of uh, a love of organization, and that's probably what leads to my love of, like, Excel and and, uh, just in general, like, processes. I kind of just like that thing. I like things being in order. And as a kid, when I would get my allowance, it was never – I would never spend it on baseball cards. Well, I would sometimes, but uh, more often than not, I would spend my allowance on, like, containers that I could keep things in. So I had, like, probably the most organized – kids room of all time I just loved things fitting and I loved containers and I think the psychologist in me would probably say that had to do with like you know childhood divorce and things like that and I liked the things I can control and things I can order properly mm, like that's yes. what I'm gonna do you know making um, order out of chaos exactly exactly so yeah like I would have loved to have like a drunk alcoholic dad that could give me crown royal backs not to say that <laughs> Tim not to say that Tim is that I realize how that sounded when I said it that's not I don't know him. uh so yeah
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh, welcome back to Masters of Unlocking. Uh, I'm I'm glad Tim will tune in for our very first episode (laughs) back. You sound great, Tim. You sound cool. (laughs) (laughs) But my Thanksgiving was fantastic. It was mostly drinking. (laughs) Of course, that's
1: fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, it was good. I'm sort of a displaced from where I grew up. Most of my family is back in Wisconsin, and I am out here just outside of New York City. So we did like a Friendsgiving and had a bunch of... uh, our misfit toys who are also you know, orphaned from most of our family. And we got together and did all of the Thanksgiving stuff, cooked a big Turkey, did the traditional stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy, that whole deal. And then spent the rest of the weekend touring breweries and distilleries and, uh, just finding all sorts of debauchery. It was fantastic.
1: Oh man, that sounds awesome. I miss gathering a bunch of, friends and doing, you know, just having fun and, and being crazy for a weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. It was, I I highly recommend it.
1: Oh, that sounds great. Did you ever do a, uh, I can't remember the size of the town you grew up in, but in my, in my town, um, the big thing was like field parties or like bonfires out in the middle of fields. Oh, that's so great. And playing, uh, we'll get to this when we get to the playlist actually, but I'm playing Red Dead Redemption a lot. And there are some sort of bonfire campfire parties and when I play those I'm like I I literally am like this feels like high school to me except you know more murder and blood and 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 depravity but I'm surprised
0: that doesn't just feel like exactly
1: like high school for you (laughs) well my murder was somewhat limited in high school um it took you a while to work into that level of just life success yeah, you know, I was I was indecisive because I had to, like, be cool. I, I wanted to murder the right people so that right. people would, like, respect me in the right way. Yeah, yeah. And it was very confusing. High school is a confusing time. So I, I hesitated on the murdering more than I should have. I, what I should have done, you know, if I could do it all over again, uh, I would be indiscriminate and I would murder everyone. That way everyone knows I'm on their side. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, that's yeah. really the Red Dead Redemption way. It's right? the way I'm playing it. That's for damn <laughs> sure. <laughs> I
0: was well, a guy that I work with and he came into my office the other day and he's he just started playing Red Dead Redemption and he was like so my I'm starting playing this game and I'm trying to be real careful cuz I read online that like if you Draw your gun in the wrong place, like things can go badly, and you can just end up killing people that are quest givers, and things <laughs> go south. And he's like, and I'm not one of those kind of guys that likes to, you know, reload his save. If I'm I'm in and I'm playing through the game, I'm not going back. Whatever happens, happens, and be that as it may. And he's like, and I'm walking into my first town, and I drop the controller, and my guy pulls <laughs> out his gun and starts <laughs> shooting, and all <laughs> hell breaks loose. Yep. I ended up having to kill the entire town. <laughs>
1: uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird because it's, it's one of those games, and I guess we can just sort of bridge right into play uh, playlists, but it's one of those games that um, it, it, there, um, one button will do multiple things depending on the context um, just because there's a lot of stuff to do, and one of the things is that the button to ask someone questions is the same button to aim your gun. Oh, geez. Um, and so if you're outside of the proximity of talking with someone, and you decide to press your like the R two button on, on PlayStation t- uh, Four, you could accidentally draw your gun. I've done that so many times, and when you draw your gun, they immediately go into a fearful state where they're like, "Don't shoot me," and they'll run away and alert law and all that kind of stuff. So it does happen a lot that you accidentally draw your gun when you don't mean to. Um, which, but but your friend, I think, has it the right way. It's one of those games that. Um, you kind of just have to let the story absorb you and just do what it's telling you to do. Reloading save states I don't think is really a thing you should do in this game. Uh, You should just let it play out as it plays out. Um, There's nothing in the game that's going to prevent you from progressing if you do it the wrong way. It's just it's going to force you to progress in maybe a slightly different way, and that's okay with me. I'm cool with that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm really looking forward to playing it. I haven't picked up Red Dead Redemption 2 yet. It was back when Spider-Man came out I had decided look I'm just going to wait on Spider-Man until the the game of the year version comes out and I'm just going to go with that way and, and play it then because I had a ton of stuff that I wanted to play at the time and that's kind of what I was thinking with Red Dead Redemption 2 it was when Amazon was ending their 20% pre-order deal they I went to pre-order it then but all Amazon was stocking at that point was they, they must have pulled the listing mm. because all they had was the digital version, and so I oh, I ended up never pre-ordering it, and just thought, okay, well I'll, I'll just play it when the Game of the Year version comes out because I've got Assassin's Creed Odyssey that I need to play. I've got Fallout 76 coming that they need to play, and as luck would have it, I just finished Assassin's Creed Odyssey earlier last week, and then I thought, okay, well I'm gonna hop into Fallout 76 now, and I'll play that, and then, you know, by the time I'm done with that, and whatever comes out then next, then by that time, maybe a a Game of the Year version will be on the horizon. But uh, Fallout 76 sucks so goddamn
1: bad (laughs) that I'm just about
0: ready to write that thing off and go buy Red Dead Redemption 2.
1: And uh, tell me, how long did you play Fallout 76?
0: I'm about 40 hours into it right now, and I honestly... Can't tell you why.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask. So I knew I I sort of led that question. I knew how long, how much time you'd put into it. Um, And what's interesting is all of the commentary I'm hearing from people is they they stopped playing about that same amount of time. Um, I feel like I feel like you can tell that it's not going to be a good game way before 30, 40 hours. Oh, yeah. So was it was it holding on for dear hope that this would be a much better that it would get better? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I
0: really, really liked Fallout 4, and I really, really liked New Vegas right i i i like the stuff bethesda does despite its bugs and despite their problems like the you know obviously those things are, are hurdles that you have to overcome in any one of their games because frankly they're always massive games and there's stuff that goes wrong with it and it's that way with assassin's creed it's just that way with those kind of gigantic games because frankly there's just if they spent all the time doing it you know programming things so that everything was perfect it would never come out and we'll we'll get into that a little bit more as we talk about our our legal news stories down the road here but uh, to get back to your question yeah i mean i think that it was just i was really stoked for it i early on when bethesda announced it as an online game i was all 100 percent not interested and then as they revealed more and said well it's not really online it's more like you're going to it's a world that you're going to see other people in but it's really more of a single player story and it's it's just kind of the fallout you sh- you all know and love. Well, let me tell you it is definitely <laughs> not. Like one of the things that I love about Fallout and is the same thing same type of thing that I loved about Uh, Elder Scrolls is, it really is, despite the fact that it's open world, there is kind of a story that runs through it and it's easy to follow and it's, it's, it's engrossing, right? You have like cutscenes, you have a ton of NPCs that are are all living in the world, but they're all, they all give you glimpses of the society that uh, you're in, the world that you're living in. And in Fallout 76, I may be wrong about this, but so far, I don't recall ever meeting a single NPC. Like, mm-hmm. you, you go through and, and throughout the the main storyline of the game, you're trying to kind of follow the overseer. And the overseer is just the person that was in charge of the vault that you were dwelling in. And that's really kind of the only NPC that exists in the game, and... and you're always just following along, listening to like audio tapes of this, this NPC of this overseer talking. And so there's no interaction with any kind of NPC, which, which leaves me wanting, uh, leave me wanting something to be involved with, leaves me wanting something to draw me into the game world. Mm -hmm. You see the other players running around every once in a while and, for the amount of time that I played, I will say I only really got into a like baited into an end uh, a PvP fight once. Everybody kind of leaves everybody alone. I think they're all too busy searching for storyline to care about PvP fighting. <laughs> um, but that because you never interact with them in any meaningful way that drives a story forward, it just doesn't capture me,
1: yeah. I think, so it was interesting you said uh, when you when you talked about you like Bethesda games, I was going to ask you what is it that you like about Bethesda games, but you kind of answered that already, and that's there's usually a storyline there. And I think that's the big problem here is that we love Bethesda and the games that they create, and I don't think it's until this release of Fallout 76 that we realize that the reason we love Bethesda really is because of the stories that they're able to create, um, because their games are buggy. Um, their games, you know, that's just the way that they are, but we Mm -hmm. excuse that because they're so good at storytelling and they're still so good at even environmental storytelling, which I think is the only kind of real storytelling they have in this particular, in Fallout 76. So this game for me solidifies the fact that the reason I love a Bethesda game is the story. And I'm hoping That's the message that sent loud and clear to Bethesda. We don't like Bethesda because of their game mechanics. We don't like Bethesda because of their, uh, their visuals. That's not why we love them. Those things help support what it is that we do love, which is the story. So I'm always trying to look for silver lining. And I think the silver lining here is that hopefully this will be Bethesda recognizing, Oh, now we know what gamers actually do want. Um, it feels just even the gameplay itself feels limiting. You know,
0: A, you, you don't have anything to to suck you into a storyline to distract you, which then you mentioned you know, the the game mechanics. Well, not having this storyline to distract me and really engross me has made me realize how limiting the game's mechanics are in general and the game engine is. And maybe this is just coming off the heels of playing uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where assassin's creed odyssey's engine is it's sort of like the the breath of the wild engine where Mm -hmm. if you can see it you can get to it right you can climb a mountain you can climb a tower you can climb pretty much anything in the world and get to whatever you need to get to whereas in fallout you if you see a wall it's that's because you're not going beyond that wall it's a very Mm -hmm. it's very much a gated experience and uh it just feels limited and you're it makes you feel very aware that you're in a video game rather than in this big expansive world
1: i think bethesda counted on the players forming their four person teams. Like I don't think they counted on as many people playing a single player as are actually playing a single player because I would imagine that if you're playing it with a four person team from the beginning and you're all coordinating exactly what your next move should be and where you should go and you're truly working together the whole time, it's probably a I would say a more fun experience, but the truth is Bethesda fans like single player. Bethesda said went out of their way to say that this could be a single player game, you can play it by yourself because they knew their fans wanted that, so they were almost trying to say, no, it's cool, you can do it that way. But the truth is, I think they were hoping that most players wouldn't play it that way because mm-hmm. it probably is more fun when you have multiple people. I, on the other hand, are, I'm an extreme hermit. I I, I don't want to play with other people. I don't, like the first time, okay, so when I when you first load into the vault, um, it's, it's sort of inherently problematic because the whole idea is that you're going out there to rebuild society, but immediately everybody just disperses. And they're not working together at all. So there's no need to work together necessarily mm-hmm. at the beginning, which goes against the story's very limited or it goes against the game's very limited story anyway. You know, go out there, rebuild society together. Nah, fuck it. I'm going to go find screws on a desk fan on my own. Thank right, you very much. Right. Well, um, I
0: mean, you you basically you start the game, you wake up and the vault is empty. It's yeah, like, everybody's oh, already well, left you. Shit. I, I guess I slept <laughs> in after last night's party and the world has moved on without me. And yeah. I guess now I just go wander off on
1: my own. That very kernel, that seed, starts the game off of such a bad note because, yeah, it, at the very beginning, the whole narrative of work together to rebuild the world just doesn't exist. It's it's absolutely not, not the same. And so the first time uh, they, they have the system in there, which I think is a cool idea. Um, and that's probably a refrain you'll hear a lot about this game is that there's a lot of cool ideas. They're just not really implemented very well. So maybe this will be the first step in a better, a better experience. But um, one, of the, one of the things that they do implement that's kind of cool is that they have this sort of near uh, uh, communication uh, where you can hear actual players if they're close to you in proximity in the game space so if there's another player that's within you know 10 20 feet or whatever you could actually hear them on your audio headset Um, and that's kind of how they work with that and I I'm not a multiplayer fan I didn't know this I didn't understand this I didn't know if this was how all games worked or if no games worked this way I was completely foreign to this so when I'm in the vault and I'm kind of exploring and looking around I could hear in the background some strangers TV playing like a an episode of Family Guy or something, mm. and I didn't know that that like I literally didn't know that was from the other player because I couldn't see the other player. They were like behind me or something, so I couldn't see them. And it started playing Family Guy, and I'm like, "This is an interesting choice for Bethesda to to like they're so they're usually so rooted in like 50s nostalgia, kind of like weird." <laughs> and like, there's a Family Guy? What is this? Something's going on, and I didn't get it. I couldn't put my hand head around it. Uh, finally, I looked up later online, and that's when I found out about the whole near communication thing. But that was super annoying and took me right out of it. And that was already one of those small pieces of friction that caused me to sort of distance myself from even trying to accept this game as what it's trying to do. Um, So I'm, yeah, it's, it's pretty disappointing. I'm a huge fallout fan. I love fallout. In fact, one of the stories we'll get to later about the uh, steam link. One of the main reasons I'm excited about that is because I I want to play the fallout four and fallout new Vegas on my, on my TV with a controller. You know, I want to do that. So uh, it's disappointing all around, but I did. I did. I am getting the uh, the power armor edition only because I did win it in a in a fun video contest. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, I should mention that. So there's a website called the Sandbox. It's the Sandbox. Um, and they hold like uh, they hold challenges basically. And so um, it's basically like you know, send us your video. This one was particularly for a Fallout 76 hype. So send a video talking about how hyped you are for Fallout 76. And so I submitted a video and, and ended up winning it. And the prize was a power armor edition. So I will get that. Um, I'm glad that I didn't pay for it because there's a lot of issues happening with that whole uh, that whole mm-hmm. thing. But it's, it's still kind of cool to have. Again, I, I'm not a, not a collector, no matter what uh, Scott says. But um, it's going to be cool to kind of have that. I can't wait to walk into the office with a power armor helmet and uh, demand that everyone kneel before me.
0: Yeah. And by it's the time awesome. we get to... Uh, Fallout fifty one, you'll
1: have the entire power power armor suit. <laughs> I know those special editions that just have like a thigh piece. Yeah, those are going to be a little bit of a letdown, but, a little yeah. underwhelming. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> oh man! The, so you play, the, you, play the you, the you jockstrap play. edition. It's going to be really <laughs> that one would enticing. actually be for for the absurd novelty. Uh, that would actually be one that would I would be willing to pay for. Comes with a giant cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. You know, if Fallout could do that I'm I'm not even kidding when I say this. If Bethesda could do that for their next release, I think it would almost make up for this Fallout seventy six fiasco. <laughs> Our next collector's edition is gonna be the cog piece. <laughs> I'd be all over that. Oh man. So so Fallout seventy six was let down, you spent Uh, Quite a bit of time in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I'm guessing that one uh, did you well. I really,
0: really enjoyed Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And uh, longtime listeners will know that I really enjoyed Assassin's Creed Origins. It really reinvigorated me for the Assassin's Creed series. Um, As a history nerd, and especially an ancient history nerd, these were, they just, uh, to borrow one of Caleb's favorite lines, tickled me in all the right places the islands are just gorgeous i mean it it makes me we have a group of friends who are all hitting like milestone birthdays next year a couple of us are 30 a couple of us are 35 i'm turning 40 i'm the old man of the group but we are basically trying to plan out a a vacation right a a trip for next year and a couple of us were playing assassin's creed odyssey and so we all just said it's got to be greece we'll go to greece next year and so then that made us even more excited to play it and uncover the islands and go explore and see how things fit together um the i i will say that i can see how some people may not like the way the storyline kind of fits together because it is very it's more open worldy from a main storyline perspective than most assassin creed games have been in in so much as that if you don't do some of the side quests and there are some there are some fairly major side story arcs in the game and without getting into any spoilers if you don't do all of those side story quests or side, those major side quests, quest lines, you won't get the, the ending may not make a whole lot of sense mm. to you. It may be kind of underwhelming and you may get to the end of kind of the main quest line and think, well, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And it was just kind of abrupt. Uh, if you are playing it and you get to the end and you think that it's because you missed a major Portion of the mm. of, of this main storyline but it's possible if you don't go to the island or the the city state where that main quest line starts there's there in some of them there's not something that just says hey go to this person and talk to them and start their quest line right um so it's sort of you have to really spend the time exploring and uncovering all that there is to offer. And the map is gigantic. It's uh it feels even larger than the map in Assassin's Creed origin. Um, the it, it does a good job of interspersing the naval battles which have been become a, a very popular component of Assassin's Creed with uh you know some of the the combat mechanics, the assassination mechanics, which is interesting because The Assassin's Creed Odyssey takes place in in the uh, Peloponnesian War era of of Greece. So that's you're looking at the third century B.C., which is a full 300 years before Assassin's Creed origin.
1: Hmm. And
0: in Assassin's Creed origin, you get the as the name implies, the origin story of the assassins. So. In this entire game, there is no assassin. There's no assassin order. There's no hidden blade. It, it's it's a Assassin's Creed game without the creed <laughs> and without the assassins, which um, didn't detract at all for me. Yeah, uh,
1: people seem to really like it. So I wonder. I mean, I would anticipate this is sort of the new blueprint for Assassin's Creed games, and they might they might have they might have to force in the whole Assassin's Creed. Uh, thing, But the whole RPG elements, the RPG style is probably something they're going to That that's the new norm, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it um, this one does a good job is as they did in in origin of not dwelling on the whole present scenario. There's really only a couple of cut scenes that take you back to the present time and the whole animus crap. <laughs> um, I really think as, as, as we go on, Assassin's Creed becomes more of just a, a brand and, mm-hmm. you know, less of a overarching connectivity, you know, theme.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did play a little bit of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, I might've mentioned it on one of the B side episodes uh, that you alluded to or in the intro, but, um, I was part of, uh, Google's, uh, project stream, which is their, basically their streaming video game, uh, service. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing actually, to be totally honest. I have a couple videos on my channel if anyone wants to check it out. Um, but it's, it's really, really amazing. And this was, this was the beta game so I could play it for free. Um, and in fact, I still have the ability to play it until I think January 15th or something like that. And I probably put in a good like 15 hours or so. It really enjoyed it. It just happened to also coordinate with fallout 76 releasing and red dead redemption two releasing and uh Spyro uh releasing which I'm super I, I have it and I want to play it like it's really sad when I'm playing a Fallout 76 game and I'm like man I wish I could play Spyro the <laughs> 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 but that's I'm I'm really looking forward to actually getting into play that because I have I have some pretty good memories of Spyro so um but yeah I, I had a lot of fun with it I have not never really played an Assassin's Creed game in fact I might never have played it in an Assassin's Creed game at all I will say to me it felt like the the control the same gripe i had with the witcher 3 i feel like the control of the character is is somewhat clunky and maybe i'm just spoiled by controls like from like horizon zero dawn and things like that where it's like perfect and i feel like there's there's just too much clunkiness um but then again i am playing red dead redemption 2 which the control of the characters is one of the biggest gripes that most people have about the game and, and really one of the only gripes most people have about the game. So Yeah. yeah. I, I
0: will say that the that's always kind of been a a gripe of the Assassin's Creed series. I personally think that the last two origins and, and Odyssey have come a long way um from kind of the I would say everything prior to that, which was very herky jerky I think is probably the best way to put it where you're you're move move the moving from the the horizontal plane of movement to the more vertical plane of movement and then back again yeah was not transitioned well and you still get a bit of that um in the new assassin's creed uh, engine but I it's I don't notice it as much but I still I see where you're coming from and I think that's I tend to think that that's kind of a small price to pay for the the overall, oh, I can get anywhere feeling Mm -hmm. that I get. Whereas, you know, contrasting that against Fallout 76, where I get to a wall, I'm just like, oh, well, I stop here because I can't go up that thing.
1: Yeah, that's super annoying now. Now, I will say so. So we're still kind of in the playlist section, like what we're currently playing right now. Um, And you mentioned you haven't played Red Dead Redemption 2, but you also sort of implied that you're now at the end of the games that you're looking forward to and you're looking for sort of the next thing. Um, Maybe Black Friday gave you a bunch of games that you could play, I don't know. But um, I will say that Red Dead Redemption 2, I'm not trying to sell you on it at all, but I I would say that uh, it's definitely very, very, very much like Breath of the Wild in a lot of ways, actually. But one of the core ways is it's one of those games. If you can see it, you can get to it. Um, You know, you can get to it right from the beginning of the game if you want to. You don't have to. You're not gated in any way whatsoever. The only gate really is a character skill level type gate. So there's obvious areas where you probably don't want to go to because you're going to get your ass handed to you. Um, but it's, it's, I, I, I would say I've been telling people, if you liked Breath of the Wild, you'll like Red Dead Redemption 2. It's, it's, in a lot of ways, they're so, so, so similar. Um, and also, I've also warned people that it's a very slow game, also much like Breath of the Wild. You start out very slow. The game, the game is so incredibly genius in so many ways, but, but at the very beginning, you start out in sort of a snowy world. Um, there's like two or three feet of snow. You're in a blizzard, and for the first two or three hours of the game, much like the plateau in Breath of the Wild, um, it's sort of a tutorial type of thing. Even though it's not overtly stated as a tutorial, but what this game does really geniusly, uh, geniusly, I think that's the word. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, in the same way that Breath of the Wild's plateau liter- it, it gates you in the sense that you're not able to get down from the plateau because you don't have the the parachute glider thing. Um, in this, in this world walking through the snow through two foot long snow just as much as it would be in real life is very slow and so while you could possibly move and and go off in a different direction and head you know you know uh 30 miles up a, up a mountain if you wanted to or whatever like you don't you you wouldn't even try it because you're like man I move slow in snow I shouldn't that, that's just gonna be a waste of time it's gonna be boring so it's man, sort of it's like I'm playing Colot. <laughs> yeah the greatest game ever thank you. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) new listeners go back and listen to previous episodes where I talk about how great Kolod is and Scott doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Uh, So, (laughs) but it it sort of gates you in that way that's not artificial. It's not an invisible boundary. It's basically a way of saying you don't want to explore further. Uh, Trust me, you don't want to explore further because it's going to be very slow and there's probably nothing out there. Um, But it does that in a very smart way. And this game is kind of like that throughout the entire experience. Like I'm probably 40 hours in And I'm like 40% or so of the way through the story mode. And there's still elements where I'm like, I know what Red Dead Redemption 2 is trying to do. It's trying to tell me not to go in this direction. I could if I wanted to, but it's going to be boring. And so I shouldn't do that. I should focus. Um, So it's super fun. I think it's one of the first games that I will probably complete and then... Go out of my way to find all of the cool little things, the Easter eggs, the secrets, because oh, wow, um, I, and and even games I love like Breath of the Wild or like Horizon Zero Dawn, I generally once I finish the story mode, I'm like ah, I'm done. But this is a game where there's so many little things they don't tell you about. Like for example, um, you've you you've probably heard movies and stuff or something like you know uh, I think uh what's the word I'm. Uh, there's a movie I know where they talk about like how they feed dead bodies to pigs and to oh, get yeah. rid of all the evidence. Right. Yep. That's uh one of the, one of the guy Ritchie movies. Yes. Yes. Um, with uh, Brad Pitt. It's the one with Brad Pitt. Um, where he's a, he's a piker. He's a box. He's, he's a guy that you can't understand. Like the, yeah. whole... <laughs> I yeah. hate that. I hate that. He's, movie a, he's because... a, he's a gypsy, right? He's, he's a gypsy, like a gypsy piker. Yeah. And the whole point of the movie, is, the whole point of his character is that you can't understand him, but he also says things that are integral to the plot. And so I'm like, that's, there's something not working right there. You got to work on that. But yeah, um, there's that. so, uh, so yeah, you learn that from that movie and it might be more common thing. I don't know. But in this game, there was literally a spot time when I was like, you know, there's a, there's a pig farm. It's just out, you know, and I'm like, I wonder if I can feed a body to that. (laughs) And so sure enough, I pick up a dead body that I killed and I throw it in there and the pigs run at it and start eating away at it. And the in in the the way that this the game works is that i I literally just stared at the body as the pigs were eating it and the hand was slowly disappearing down to bone and this is something they 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 don't and if you kill a body or something you could literally watch it for like you know several in-game days and you can see it decompose wow. like it it's doing that and it doesn't have to it's not like that's not part of the game that's not anything um another really cool thing is they don't tell you about is Throughout the game, there's going to be these blind beggars and these beggars, you know, give me a couple of coins, please, please, sir. Uh, I've pulled out my gun and aimed it at them because I'm like, let's see if they're really blind. Because like if they're blind, if they're not blind, obviously they would be scared that I'm pointing a gun at them. If they are blind, they would not know that I'm pointing a gun at them. And sure enough, like 50% of them, if you point the gun at them, they they don't react the other fifty percent, they freak out. They're like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, really am a beggar, but I, I just use the blindness to, you know, try to get more money from people." <laughs> and those That's are awesome. things the the game never ever ever tells you about those things, but you can you can just do them. Um, so it's one of those games. Like you, if you think like, should I try? The one thing I am disappointed about is there was a mission in which you had to, um, you had to douse an entire tobacco field in in uh, moonshine and then light it on fire. And so I spent, you know, a while dousing this whole uh, this whole thing in moonshine. And then I thought, I wonder if I can now smoke a cigarette because you can't smoke cigarettes in this game. It gives you uh, it increases your dead eye meter or whatever. Um, I was like, I wonder if I could smoke a cigarette, because at the end of the smoking the cigarette animation, he always throws the butt on the ground. Nice. And I'm like, I wonder if I can do this that was the one thing where it didn't catch fire and kill me. And I was like, dang, that was like kind of a missed opportunity. But so far, everything else, if I'm thinking, I wonder if this will happen, it generally happens. It's pretty insane. There was, uh, I'll keep going. Like, so uh, you can find horses that are just out there or you can kill a person on a horse and then the horse is just left there and and the horse is freaking out because it's, you know, upset. It's not sure what's going on. Its owner just got killed, whatever. If you go up and try to loot the satchel right away, The horse could just kick you in the face and kill you like because it's freaked out. But if you go up there and sort of stroke the horse and calm the horse, then you can steal from the satchel without, you know, without any any repercussions without the horse killing you. And again, the game doesn't tell you that you just have to imagine, like, what would I do in this situation? And it usually works out. So it's 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 pretty incredible. Like It it really is an incredible, incredible game about 40 percent through the story mode. Um, I have no plans on stopping like it's it's pretty great.
0: So. That's fantastic. You have definitely sold me on it, because <laughs> it, it sounds a hell of a lot better than
1: going back and trying to stomach more of Fallout 76. I would not doubt it. I, I love Fallout. I played about two hours of it. Part of it's because I could sense the game was not what I wanted, and the other reason is because I also had Red Dead Redemption too. So I, I was like, that's a better use of my time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What
0: um, you, Now, you didn't get Red Dead Redemption 2 for Black Friday, right? You got that on launch day because you'd pre-ordered it?
1: Yeah, I pre-ordered it. I have about 100 hours of PTO to use at work.
0: Uh-huh. And I
1: decided I'm going to take the day off and just play it. And that's what I did. Nice. Yeah, nice. and they had the servers on the day before, which they weren't advertising. So I went and picked it up at Best Buy the day before. At Best Buy, usually for these big releases, these ten pole releases, you can actually pick up the game uh, prior to release. You can usually pick it up about 9 o'clock or so prior to release. Um, but I wasn't anticipating the servers being on until... Um, well, I guess, no, I'm thinking fallout 76. I'm sorry. I'm totally, totally wrong on this fallout 76. I wasn't expecting the servers to be on until uh, midnight, but they were on at like nine o'clock, which was really cool. So, but yeah, red Dead redemption took about five hours to install. So I wasn't really getting any benefit out of picking it up early. So fallout
0: 76 had a 53 gigabyte patch when I put the disc in.
1: Yeah. I think it replaced the original drive data though. So it wasn't 50, 56 in addition, it was a f- total of fifty six. Now this is what the game is: fifty six gigs.
0: I still had to download
1: fifty six gigs. Yeah, with that's the true. You did have to do that, and so <laughs> you had to wait all that time to play a game that ended up sucking. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's Boo.
0: uh hour of my life I'll never get back. Man.
1: So what? What? You, you... Not to mention the forty hours of gameplay that I actually put in. That's a long time to like realize I don't want to play this. But yeah. you know what? To each his own. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Did you pick up anything? Speaking of Black Friday. I did. This
0: was actually the least active Black Friday slash Cyber Monday that I've had in since probably high school. Wow. Yeah, it was a very um, I actually did. I placed one order all weekend. And actually it wasn't even that weekend. I placed the order on Monday before Thanksgiving because as a, a Best Buy my reward zone elite member, I got the early access to all of the Black Friday deals on Monday before Thanksgiving. So that Monday I woke up, got the email about uh, the notification of it, went to Best Buy site and just thought, eh, I'll I'll take a look." I hadn't really I'd been so busy that this was the first time I hadn't done like a lot of Black Friday research ahead of time and mm-hmm. looked into, you know, all of the sales, all the game sales. I really was sort of not looking for anything. Um, and most of the games that are like Black Friday stuff are stuff that I already had um, just from a quick glance, you know. Around, I didn't see much that really interested me. The one thing that I was thinking about getting ahead of time was if I would find a good deal on a TV, I might pick mm. that up. And that was strictly because the the TV that I have in my living room is my is an older plasma, um, and it's got a very reflective glass screen. But my living room has a lot of windows, and mm. so it, it would really be a better bedroom TV. And my bedroom TV was one that I actually got like on a Black Friday maybe 10 years ago as part of a Walmart PS3 Slim bundle deal. So it was a, a Sony TV and a PS3 Slim. And I think it might do 1080p, but I think it's a 720p TV, and that's just been my bedroom TV for years and years. And so I thought okay, well I'll move the the living room TV into the bedroom and replace the, you know, living room viewing with something that's more bright room friendly. Uh so that's actually what I found. I I Best Buy had a doorbuster that was a LG and I love my LG OLED in the game room. This was not an OLED, it was just one of their LED TVs. It's a uh a, a UHD 4K um and they had it for i think it was 699 and so i i hopped on that and bought that and while i was on best buy's site i just took a quick glance at the video games and added to my cart um, just dance 2019 for the Wii U. Very exciting, very <laughs> exciting. Uh, which is hopefully the last game they make for the Wii U. I, th- and I actually said the exact same thing about just dance 2018, because that was the previous game I'd bought for the Wii U. Um, and that was purely just to keep the Wii U set complete. And they had that on sale for 24.99, And uh, I can't imagine that they printed a whole lot of those. So I, I, snapped that up and then i also bought one of the black friday game sales that they had going on for uh burnout paradise remastered i love the burnout series it's uh uh one of the games that we bust out when i have friends over and and just do some mindless racing combat type stuff um and that was 10 bucks and i think um yeah i think it was 9.99 so and that was The extent of it. I was super tempted. We mentioned this before. Target on Cyber Monday had $34 DualShock 4 controllers. They had a sale on them. I think they were like $43 or $45 or something, but then they had a 15% off whatever you bought, and that basically dropped it down to $34, including tax. Um, so I could have been out the door with a couple of PS four the new ones, the new redesigned dual shocks for thirty four bucks. I had a couple of them in my in my cart on Monday while I was at work and just decided,
1: meh, I got yeah. enough shit. <laughs> yeah, my my impressive collection is is nothing worth even trying to compete with. So Yeah, I can't I can't keep up with the yeah. Caleb J. Rosses of the world. <laughs> I, I, I would I imagine that there's someone Uh, whose job it is to monitor every order that comes through Best Buy, uh, just because I think it's funny to imagine someone with that kind of job, and they see (laughs) this person's buying a 70-inch LED 4K TV and Just Dance 2019. Huh. Okay. (laughs) Sure, this guy really wants to get the most out of his Just Dance. (laughs) And then they'll probably look at my order history and be like, huh,
0: last Black Friday he bought Just Dance 2018. This guy's a fan. This he guy is. loves it. <laughs> he loves it, yeah. He dances so much. <laughs> oh man. If they uh, only knew. If they only knew. <laughs> if they only knew how truly white I am. <laughs> I got well, no, that's why you get the video. No games rhythm to teach you. whatsoever. I've got to teach you how to do it. Yeah. Ooh boy. Oh man. Yeah. Um, what about you? Did you did you find any delectable goodies? I found it.
1: Um, I'm the opposite of you. I actually felt felt like this was one I took the most advantage of. And I think your point about you already collector, having some of the stuff. Collector. Collector. How dare. Who's saying that? Collector. I get what, out of my what? head. What is You're that? What is, what
0: is that? I can't. I don't know what's happening.
1: It is weird that you would even question what's happening when apparently that was in my head. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. I uh, I actually got the most out of this Black Friday uh, than I usually do, um, in terms of games anyway. So I did not get any of the controllers, um, and I, I'm okay with that. I think it's it's kind of one of those collections that I'm like, I'm okay with just finding it when a good deal happens about. So like, for example, with the uh, Spider-Man controller that I got, I put a bid in on eBay not expecting it to actually like go through. And it did. And so I got it for less than I would buy for spend on new controllers that are just all uh, available all the time. And this is a controller that obviously was only sold with the Spider-Man bundle. So it's not terribly easy to get. Um, But, yeah, this was just one of those weird situations where no one outbid me. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, So much so that I was concerned that maybe it was just like not an actual Spider-Man for PS4 controller. And it was just like one of those custom made controllers that someone made to look like that. But no, I did all the research. It's all good. So anyway, um, yeah, so it was just kind of a surprise that I got that. But in terms of games, um, I did buy a few games, three games in particular. uh, L.A. Noir for the Switch, which I think was, if I remember correctly, only 10 bucks. And I've been wanting to play that game for a long time. So I'm very, very excited about that. Detroit Become Human, a game that I never really super wanted to play, but it was 20 bucks, and my niece is really into that game, and so this will give me something that I can talk with her about. And then God of War for $17, which is insane, so insane, in fact, that uh, I was looking at a list of the top-selling Black Friday game, games, Black- not even games, just Black Friday products, and God of War is number five all of the things that sold on black Friday, number five um, and the first is just laptops, which I think that's unfair because it's not saying a particular model of laptop. It's not like number three is video games. <laughs> so I think that's, that's unfair just to say laptops in general Yeah, two, two and three are some just toys trends of the, of the month kind of thing. So of course they're going to sell really, really highly. Number four is also a video game, Pokemon. Let's go Pikachu and Eevee, But again, two games, not one. Uh so unfair. And then a new release. So And everybody a new release. Who's pre-ordered it, right? Gets counted in that that release day window. Very true. And so the number 5, God of War, which um I mean to, to be to be fair, $17 is insane because it's a $60 game still like right now. Maybe maybe 50, I think maybe. But that's what it is normally. To be at $17 is just absolutely insane. So I don't know if that's indicative that they're going to be letting uh, out a Game of the Year edition sometime soon. Even if they do, I've already established the fact that I don't really play DLC much. Once the story mode is over, I'm, I'm fine to keep going. So I figure this was the best thing I could possibly do. So that's definitely going to be the next game on my list to play. Um, I will probably hold off on more Fallout 76 until... It's had a few months to simmer, and people are starting to, to come around to it. And there's been some patches and stuff like that. So Red Dead Redemption 2 will pl- probably last me another couple months. Then it'll be probably God of War, I think. That's a good haul.
0: That's, yeah. That's, that's a real good haul.
1: I did get some uh, Assassin's Creed wine as well. I forgot to mention that out. Ooh. So, yeah. I uh, I have a collection of, of video game-themed booze. Um, there were six different types
0: of wine in the Assassin's Creed wine lineup. Mm-hmm. Did you get the whole... The whole collection, or did you just oh, per- get you, a, a particular c-
1: type? You know what, Scott? You would love, you would love it if I said I got all six of them. I really would, to complete the quote-unquote collection. Then your transformation would be <laughs> complete. <laughs> Curveball, though. I just got one because I realized oh. I didn't need all of them, so hmm. I just got one. I got, hmm. and I'm not going to well, drink it anyway. I'm not even a satisfying. wine fan.
0: I'm not going to lie. That's way less satisfying for me.
1: For you, yes. For me. I'm convincing myself that it is equally as satisfying to get one as it is to get six or five. Would, would I like to have In all no five of them? no universe
0: is one bottle of wine as satisfying
1: <laughs> as six bottles of wine. I'm not a huge wine guy. I'm just not. I know you are. Uh, I'm more of a beer guy. In fact, I'm drinking right now a beer called Ten Fitty. Uh It is F-I-D-Y, Fitty. Nice, um, nice. And it's an imperial stout, my favorite style of beer of all time. It's a barrel-aged imperial stout, and it's absolutely awesome. Delicious, and I picked up. This is for the beer uh, listeners out there. I know there's probably two or three of you. Um, there's a there's a beer shop, a bottle shop next to where I live that is selling a uh, beer called uh, Canadian Breakfast Stout. And so, me just saying that to a lot of the beer lovers out there, your ears are gonna perk up because you know that's a beer that is released seasonally and it is very hard to find. Um, in fact, it's one of those beers that, like, as people are taking it off the truck there are people in line to buy it. So it rarely even gets to the shelf. Um, And so I picked up four bottles. I didn't know that was even possible. Um, And I am so looking forward to some of that. So that's, that's also a pickup, I suppose.
0: So it's interesting that you bring Fiddy into it because <laughs> I did buy a game today. I don't, I didn't buy anything, you know, much on Black Friday, but I bought some stuff today on eBay. One of the things that I picked up is a Xbox, an OG Xbox game that I still needed for the collection. And it was Fitty Cents Bulletproof. <laughs>
1: nice. So we
0: got a Fitty Fiddy connection going on. Nice.
1: Here. And I've heard that game isn't actually
0: terrible. No, and the so the version that I got was actually the Platinum Hits version, which is unique because, you know, most of the time people don't want the Platinum Hits version. However, while the regular standard Black Label version of 50 Cent Bulletproof is extremely common on pretty much every platform, it's common on the PlayStation 2, it's common on the the Xbox, and I think they even made it for the GameCube, I'm not positive about that, but the platinum hits release for the xbox very very scarce hmm. it's it may be one of the hardest to find games on the entire xbox
1: really yep is it just because of the low production run or the was it was released late or i
0: think it was released there's there's about Six different platinum hit schemes on the original Xbox that I believe were all released very late in the Xbox's uh, the original Xbox's lifespan, and so they're all obviously extremely rare. And Fifty Cent Bulletproof is is up there as probably one of the the maybe the second most hard to find title on the Xbox. The second only to the Platinum Hits version of Prince of Persia Warrior Within, which is hands down the most difficult title to find on the Xbox, and it's the, just specifically the Platinum Hits version. But the other rare ones to keep an eye out for are MVP Baseball 2005. Uh, a with
1: sports f- title. That's a weird. sports
0: title, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one is also shocking, Forza Motorsport.
1: That's like the, the thing that Xbox has. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But
0: well. it, they sold so many of them as just the regular standard and packed it in with consoles that uh, I think the combination of the late Platinum Hits release and the fact that I'm sure they didn't sell hardly any of them, um, very, very rare. Fight Night Round 2, Tony Hawk's Project 8, hmm. and SpongeBob SquarePants Lights Camera Pants. So really, I mean, with the exception of probably SpongeBob, all of the other ones, you know, in that really rare group of Platinum Hits titles are games where the the actual Black Label version is, is I mean, you can't throw a rock in a video game store without hitting one of them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, but the the Platinum Hits version, easy to overlook because the games are so common. But if you find the Platinum Hits version, pick them up because you can flip those bad boys for some serious
1: toe jam. And Earl. And Earl. <laughs> a game, I will argue, is not good. Now I know a lot of people are probably going to fight me on that. It's not fun. I'm sorry, guys. You know, I'm I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> well, I, I th- something we probably also won't argue with is the first story in our current events section. So. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, I know it's only been an hour and 17 minutes since we started recording, probably maybe well, less that you've actually listened to. Because it, it's only to really
0: been 45 minutes because we, we spent a half an hour before <laughs> we started the episode talking about uh, our former lives as re- pro wrestling fans. Yeah, so that's maybe true. that's a B-side that someday we'll see the light of day, <laughs> but not today.
1: Yeah, that's true. So the first story in our legal news uh, deals with Fallout 76. And uh, the concerns about uh, its, its release possibly being deceptive. Deceptive enough to, to lead to legal action. So a law firm is uh, investigating, reportedly investigating, Bethesda Game Studios for deceptive trade practices, quote-unquote, following the release of Fallout 76. Essentially boiling down to the idea that Fallout 76 was released in a way... In a state that was dramatically different than what was promised or expected by players. Um, now, I bring this story up not only because Fallout is a is a near and dear series to me, and Fallout 76 I don't like, but because this is very this is a very prevalent opinion of people is that it was released in a much much different state than it was supposed to be. Um, so, I wanted to bring it up here, obviously, because uh, you know VG has his uh, his knowledge of, of, of legal stuff. Um, but I kind of wanted to ask, uh, first of all, I did investigate to see if this, if this is unprecedented and honestly, I couldn't find any other instances of class action lawsuits, um, out there regarding this. Um, so, so there, I, I don't see that there's a precedent really set for it. And this does seem to be going towards class action. Uh, basically the, the lawyers are asking for other people to come forward with their stories of how they were deceived by Bethesda. Um, so I kind of want to toss it over to you, Scott, a little bit and say, like, is this something like, what do you feel about this from your, from your professional opinion? Like, what do you feel about this idea? Is it, is it realistic? Is it, is it going to go anywhere? Does it have legs?
0: You know, I, 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 I highly doubt it. I mean, the, the, the post on this, the web, the, the law firm is McGlachio and Rathod. They're a, a Washington DC based firm who, uh, really, one of their main areas of practice is in class action suits. And now they, they came out and basically said, minor bugs and glitches are expected with the release, this is a quote, of most new games... Fallout 76 launched with a 56 gigabyte patch that has proven to be but the starting point for the game's problems. Gamers who have tried to receive a refund because of the game's myriad glitches have been unable to do so since they downloaded the game, leaving them to deal with an unplayable experience until patches bring it back to a playable state. Now, that's just sort of par for the course for any game that's Online connectivity is required for. If the game is not the most recent version, you will not be able to connect to a server. This is nothing new. If you've ever played an MMO, you know, a massively multiplayer game, going all the way back to the days of Ultima Online back in 1996, then... You've had to deal with this. This is not something that has just fallen out of the sky and gamers are unaware of. As much as I throw shade on Fallout 76 for making me download a 56 gig patch on the minute I put the disc in, that's not really all that new. Um, going back just off the top of my mind, the when I first installed F- Assassin's Creed Unity on PlayStation 3, that game not only had like a 40 gigabyte patch, But even after the patch, it was legitimately unplayable. The game was broken, broken, broken in multiple senses of the word. Diablo 3, when you bought that game, if you bought it at launch, the servers were completely inaccessible for like the first half a day as... They basically, you were just crash and you couldn't even log into the game. Those were games that you could not play. Having to download a 56 gig patch is not not being able to play a game. It's And it's certainly not a company releasing a broken item and not wanting to do anything to fix it. If anything else, the fact that they released a 56 gigabyte patch on day one is indicative of a company who's trying to make the game playable and fix problems in it so i think i i really don't see i mean i I don't see any world where their their argument makes any sort of sense even in california and new york which have some of the most ridiculous consumer protection laws on the face of the planet i don't even think this is illegal there (laughs) and that's probably why you couldn't find any other instances
1: of it because i think this is kind of ludicrous does this statement that they made, um, how, how, as much as you can say, like how, how legally binding is this? Because my thinking would be if if I were a judge or, or, you know, in a position to refute this, I would say, okay, you launched with a 56 gigabit patch that is but a starting point. Well, I would tear that apart and say the 56 gigabit patch was also not, entirely a patch that we mentioned it earlier it was actually sort of a replacement of the, of the source data so you're just re- re-downloading the game essentially but it's also there are, there are previous situations like Tony Hawk Underground for example where it was legitimately you did you downloaded the actual game upon release because Activision was wanting to basically milk the Tony Hawk franchise and they didn't have a game ready but they were like pretending that they did so they were sold the game they released a the game and then they actually release the actual game via a patch uh, upon the day of release. Um I would point to those kind of instances and say, yeah, your argument here is not it is it, it's it's, uh, it's 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 not uh, appropriate because these types of things have happened in the past and those types of things in the past didn't necessarily lead to a lawsuit. Therefore, this particular situation doesn't need to lead to a lawsuit either. Is there any any grounds for making that sort of statement, or is that totally unrelated?
0: It definitely help would help Bethesda's case, right? Something having been done in the past without legal challenge is not a... It's not an affirmative defense for something being okay, right? Just because somebody hasn't sued someone over an action that other people have done doesn't make that action all right, especially times change, mores change, legal norms change, the laws change. But the fact that it's a really kind of, I think what you're getting to here is, is release dates and deadlines, right? You, you you mentioned that Tony Hawk was behind schedule and it was launched because they knew they needed to meet a street date. And a lot of that goes to the fact that there are external pressures on companies from shareholders from wall street right that say hey we you were expecting to release this gigantic game it's a, a, one of your core franchises going, talking about fallout here and you were going to release it in q4 of 20 of fiscal year 2018 and if you didn't release it in Q4, you don't meet the sales that you were budgeted for, and you don't meet the the, the the profit levels that you had previewed to Wall Street and to investors. And what that does is then is drives your stock price off, off a cliff, right? Anytime you don't meet forecasts, it's not a good thing for stock prices. But the fact that is that this sort of thing happens... It's almost ubiquitous. It probably happens more than it doesn't happen, right? I'm trying to release a game, releasing a game or not even just a game or releasing any kind of media on a, on a date that was foretold, that was budgeted for, that was announced well in advance. Missing those kind of dates are not good for shareholders. They're not good for... Um, Internal stakeholders, which could be your executives, it can be your middle management, because a lot of the incentives, a lot of the compensation package for kind of middle management on up for most corporations in the most companies in the corporate world, especially the public corporate world where stock is traded publicly on the stock exchange is based on meeting budgets. It's based on meeting the deadlines that were set. And so not only does a stock price go off the cliff, but it also impacts employee bonuses, employee stock grants, employee stock options, which are frankly, they those three things make up the lion's share of most corporate management compensation packages. The quote unquote salary that, that, mm, Corporate managers make is really the minority of their entire compensation package. All the rest of that is tied to meeting street dates, meeting revenue targets, meeting the goals that you've previewed to Wall Street. So I think what this loss, in order for this lawsuit to really succeed, the firm would have to argue that. This practice of releasing things to meet a given street date, regardless of whether they're really ready for final consumption or not, it would have to upend that whole practice of of uh, a business operation.
1: And I just don't think that's realistic. So does this speak to uh, this sort of touches on, I guess, that dark underbelly of, of what. Uh, games developers are all about because I could, as someone who's not involved in this day-to-day, you know, uh, situation when it comes to you know stock prices and it comes to you know what we got to do to be shareholders or whatever. I'm removed from that. I'm a gaming fan. I could try to argue, well, this is going to make me not want to buy Bethesda products in the future, and it's going to have a, this terrible mark on Bethesda products. Therefore, the long-term gains for anyone who's investing in Zenimax, or uh, I'm I'm assuming that's probably the publicly traded entity um, uh, under which uh, Bethesda appears. Um, Those are, I'm going to be less willing to invest, and therefore the long-term future potential profits are not really, really there. But as a shareholder, what's really important, I think, is that the long-term isn't necessarily what they care about. It's more about the quarter-to-quarter, as you mentioned earlier, the quarter to quarter gains. So even as a fan, I might say, Hey, this doesn't sit well for, for, for Bethesda term," And I'm, I'm going to be looking down upon their, 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 uh, their, their products. Um, uh, shareholders are saying, I don't give a shit about video games. I could, I give a shit about, about companies that produce a profit in this particular quarter. You're not produ- producing a profit because you didn't release this game on time. Therefore, I'm going to kind of, you know, pull out and then not not I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my stock in your company or whatever so
0: I, I think too thinking that companies that release games that are buggy at the outset being companies that are not long for this world is it really doesn't stand the the test of scrutiny because you look at companies like Ubisoft who, Are notorious for releasing massive patches for their games we we just mentioned Assassin's Creed unity being a a huge example of that yet Ubisoft is one of the most uh, fiscally successful game publishers in the world Activision EA Blizzard all of these studios release games that require massive patching and ongoing patching and long-term patching in order to to continue functioning properly So I think that that's something that gamers expect in this day and age. I mean, this is probably going to sound strange for somebody who harps on physical media so much, but we have already realistically reached a stage in video gaming where physical media is really irrelevant for any other reason than to... Sit on a shelf and look awesome, which is my most important reason, frankly, <laughs> but also to act as the copy protection method. Really, the the disc is your DRM today because that's how you can transfer the ownership from person to person. And that's really my biggest, The why I harp on physical media so much. But in terms of actually playing a video game, digital media is it doesn't have anything to do with the gaming it the, with games itself i don't know other than companies like limited run games where they wait until a game is final version been patched fully good to go and it's really an af- it's almost an aftermarket release of a game that doesn't require some sort of internet connectivity and a patch to to function properly especially day one mm-hmm So I think, I think this is really what this kind of boils down to for me is, is that this whole situation really just sounds like a class action law firm that doesn't know anything about video games, trying to drum up business for itself. And the fact of the matter is, is that the whole class action lawsuit industry only serves to make one group of people money. The only people that make any money whatsoever in class action lawsuits are class action law firms.
1: Hmm. And is that a, uh, is that do law firms, are there law firms out there that specifically specialize in class action lawsuits? Like they don't do both. They don't do class action and personal or whatever it might be. They just, that's all they do.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's an industry unto itself of, of law firms that specifically go around and look for areas that they can create a class action out of. Um, the, they're just in gaming right now, they're, um, People are just starting to really receive their class action or their their settlement checks from the PlayStation class action suit where Sony was sued in a class action lawsuit because they took away the um, ability to install alternate operating systems on the playstation 3 at playstation 3 launch it was advertised that oh if you don't like the the playstation's operating system you can install linux on it you can Mm -hmm. install unix on it whatever well they they disabled that in a patch and that led to a class action lawsuit saying that the advertising of the ability to install other operating systems on the, the PlayStation. We talked about this in a previous episode, so I'm not going to get into it too much, but the removing that ability was removing functionality that was advertised. And therefore it was sort of a bait and switch. Well, everybody that was basically part of that class settlement ended up getting about 40 bucks.
1: Hmm.
0: Right. And, and the, the, the firm that that was in charge of the, the class I'm sure got millions um, and then now, right now there's a, a, I just got a, a letter the other day about anybody who purchased a game at GameStop between, I don't know, such and such a date and, and you know, between two date ranges, anybody who purchased a game there can be part of a class action suit against GameStop for some reason. I didn't really look too much into it, but, um, it's the same sort of thing. It's just these kind of, of, um, Law firms try to drum up class action suits and then on top of that they try to drum up people to join the class action because the larger number of people that they get into joining the class action, the larger the settlement and the larger their share of the payout is because they're getting a gigantic chunk of whatever that settlement award is and then the
1: rest of it gets divvied up amongst everybody in the, in the class action suit. Hmm. That goes to explain, I guess, why you see all of those late-night infomercials that are like, "Have you suffered from this? Call Absolutely. this number to be." Yeah, that's, that's have you got mesothelioma? Yeah, then call I... <laughs> Dewey screw <them> And How? <laughs> uh, that sounds like a horrible NPR like credits uh, on some <laughs> game that they. Anyway, uh, so this actually kind of leads into the next, the sort of related topic. Before we move on, um, there is a story out there about a Fallout 76 player who's receiving. Uh, Compensation in the form of 500 atoms. Atoms are the in, in-game currency for Fallout 76. Um, they're receiving that from Bethesda after a complaint over a Black Friday price. Now, this is not exactly the same, but essentially, a player is unhappy with some practices that Bethesda did, and so therefore, I want some compensation for that. In this particular case, it's I paid full price for the game. Less, you know, a couple weeks later, the game is half off therefore I should get some compensation for that. I can imagine this same sort of thing playing out saying, hey, the game is broken. I want some sort of compensation from that. Uh, the reason I bring it up is this in-game currency exchange to me feels like it sets a a fairly, and maybe this isn't a precedent, but it feel, if it is a precedent, it feels like it, sends, it sets a very dangerous precedent that in-game digital currency could be uh, viewed as a legal compensation for any sort of these, any, any of these claims and they sort of horrible person in me wants to go down the route of, okay, well, our video game massive triple a video game company is going to continue to include uh, in game currency and loot boxes and things like that as almost a hedge against people that may press them for le- it It's basically, this is the way that I can sort of get people to, uh, force people to be happy with a buggy product. Hey, it released buggy. Okay, let me give you a few hundred uh, credits of in-game currency sort of thing. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on this, but it, it's a, it seems a little scary to me. Um, I just, I, I'm I'm generally against sort of in-game currency and loot boxes and that sort of thing anyway. So I may be a, a minority player in this type of thing, but it seems very strange to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously against the whole, microtransaction scheme from the beginning. I want to be able to buy a game off a shelf and have that be the game and the entirety of the game and not be dribbled along for uh, nickel and dimed. But that said, I think something like this is, is really just... I don't think there's anything new here from a customer service perspective. I think appeasements are really the name of the customer service game. Um, And whether it's giving you some digital credits to use in a video game or giving you 40% off your next order or giving you a gift card for, uh, you know, $10 for your next trip to to walmart or you know mcdonald's giving you a coupon for a free mcflurry because the rat meat in your hamburger was only the size <laughs> of a pickle um i i think this is just companies using the cheapest thing at their disposal what costs them the least amount of money but has some perceived value to the recipient or the complainee um, to try and make those problems go away. And obviously digital currency is the absolute cheapest form of <laughs> appeasement to a company that there could possibly be. But, um, I, I, I would argue that a free
1: hamburger at McDonald's is not far behind. <laughs> at least a free hamburger at McDonald's will prevent you from being hungry for another couple hours. That's true. Yeah. But 500
0: atomic, uh, digital waste tokens are probably healthier for you that's
1: not even probably absolutely 100% <laughs> yeah so I my, my only I, I just I guess appeasement like you said is the name of the game. I'm just worried that it's gonna become you know commonplace that basically that's the and also I mean from from a class action perspective, I mean if someone accepts this as appeasement, uh, that they're no longer able to participate in this class action lawsuit. And again, we've already discussed whether or not participating is even a good thing or not. But like that, I think a lot of people don't realize that you're giving up. In a, I would imagine anyway well, that you're not necessarily. Giving up. Oh, okay,
0: not necessarily. The only way you'd be waiving your right to join a suit of some sort is if you actually enter into a settlement agreement with the company Got it. or with the retailer. So if you actually are signing something that says I waive my right to f- get any sort of other benefit from, you know, this screw up, uh, then you're you're still kind of open ended. Now, um, the people running the class may say, well, we're not really comfortable letting you into the class action because this could damage the the court could look unfavorably upon the class as being um, harmed in any way because there was this avenue open for people to, you know, kind of self-help. Um, but you're not really waiving rights of any kind unless you actually actively sign them
1: away. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um, well, let's move on, uh, because, uh, we're only an hour and 40 minutes into this, uh, this podcast. Uh, so for new listeners, the podcast generally lasts, I would say an hour and a half to two hours, and uh we are two stories into this one so well again to your point earlier um maybe the listeners are actually hearing a, f- a little a few uh less uh content but anyway
0: yeah they were saved from our whole uh, hulkamania
1: and uh, uh <laughs> bill goldberg conversation before we hit play. Yes. write your congressman demand that those uh those those b-sides be released Free so. the B-sides! <laughs>
0: Free the B-sides! So
1: a late addition to this uh, episode's agenda, um, I added this literally right before we recorded, is an article about loot boxes and uh, and how the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S., will investigate uh, loot boxes as a potential uh, gambling um, thing, uh, and the reason I thought this was important is because I know, uh, just based on the media intake that I, uh, take in loot boxes are a big deal when it comes to, uh, uh video game, the future of video games, um, loot boxes being of course, uh, uh in game, uh, purchases that you can make with real money that would provide you with, uh, various in game benefits, whether that be cosmetic or actual game changing benefits to your game. Um, and often these loot boxes are, um, uh, random and that's a, that's an important component to a lot of the arguments that are being made that suggest loot boxes are in fact gambling. Uh, the reason I bring this up and why it's important is because, um, until recently, until actually today, it seems, uh, the U S has sort of distanced themselves from, uh, from, Engaging in conversations about loot boxes being gambling and should they be regulated as gambling, that sort of thing. Other countries, such as the Belgium, as Belgium and the Netherlands, they passed laws fairly recently. In fact, in April, banning loot boxes entirely because they label them as gambling. And so this seems to me like the first step where uh, the U.S. is actually starting to investigate: are these in fact gambling? Um, and so I wanted to bring it up because uh, I feel it's 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 an important topic. Um, I know there are a lot of AAA developers that really put their uh, EA is a big one. Ubisoft is another one that put their put their sort of uh, hope for the future into loot boxes and to microtransactions and things like that. So I wanted to bring this up Um, more specifically, the Federal Trade Commission's chairman, Joe Simmons, has uh, said during a congressional oversight hearing uh, very recently on Tuesday as we record this. That the regulator uh, would look into the in-game loot boxes scenario or the loot boxes thing. So, um, anyway, any any initial thoughts on this, Scott? Yeah, so I have always been
0: anti-loot box, I'm anti-microtransaction, anti-DLC from the from the get-go. But I don't necessarily think that. I mean, I, I, it's definitely gambling from a kind of letter of the law situation. You know, you're, you're buying something, you don't really know what you're getting. You could be getting something awesome. You could be getting a turd sandwich. Right. Um, but then I think back to when we were kids and did you buy baseball cards? You're going down a dangerous hill, dangerous hill, Scott. (laughs) I bought a shit ton of baseball cards and I loved buying packs of baseball cards. And there's a real um, correlation here between, you know, loot boxes being effectively digital packs of baseball cards right there. You you could buy that pack of 1989 upper deck and get a uh, rich yet, relief pitcher for the Cleveland Indians card or you could get that Ken Griffey Jr rookie card. You know, you spend the $2 on the pack of baseball cards and rich yet might be worth 3 cents. <laughs> uh and Ken Griffey Jr's rookie card at its at its height was, you know, a couple of 100 bucks. And I don't know if if that if baseball cards were still a major thing, would would we be having this argument? Would it be extending to kids buying packs of baseball cards would Or is there something fundamentally different about a loot pack or a loot, loot crate that sets it apart as somehow more dangerous and more uh, nefarious? I, would, I, I bring up this question mostly because <laughs> I'm still trying to think it through in my own mind, because this is really a, a connection that I, I just recently started making for myself. And prior to that, I was 100% on board with this is gambling. It should be regulated
1: like gambling. Um, and now I'm really not so sure. I will solve the shit out of this for you, Scott. Please do, sir. Uh, so uh, the the biggest difference I see is that there is an inherently competitive element to loot boxes that are not uh, part of uh, of baseball cards. So okay. loot boxes aren't a problem with single player campaigns. No one is saying that loot boxes are only a problem when the actual product of the loot boxes provide you with some sort of competitive advantage. And so, I think you have to look at human psychology and realize that if humans are competing with one another, that's part Mm -hmm. of their makeup. Then you have to accept that loot boxes that offer a competitive advantage have a temptation that's stronger than simply buying baseball cards for your collection. Okay, Um, so
0: let me. me Oh God, I'm arguing. I'm arguing
1: with a lawyer. I shouldn't do this. This is horrible.
0: Why? Why is the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card worth two hundred dollars and the Rich yet? card worth two cents
1: (laughs) it's a good question um i would (laughs) say the so so what you're trying to say is that the competition is those who will buy the buy the thing from you can i resell my loot box findings you cannot.
0: But okay, that, what I'm, what my argument was, is that it's actually the competition among collectors to have the more desirable card that is the competition in collecting. The same way having the more desirable, better weapon is in a, a competitive game
1: gaming environment. Does having my, a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card allow me to punch you harder? No,
0: but it does no. make
1: my collection better than yours. And if it was that
0: is if you're a collector having the better collection is inherently
1: part of why people are collectors if you are I collecting say. if you are collecting but, but, but we but know if you're that, buying baseball cards you're collecting but if you're buying loot boxes you're not
0: but you're still competing
1: you're competing Com- comp- but not collecting
0: comp- comp- but
1: competition is the root of collecting i would argue Okay, I, this gets into an area I'm not comfortable arguing with because I don't know enough. But I would say uh, – this is something you probably couldn't say in a court of law. Hey, I don't freaking know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how I let off with this,
0: this question though. I'm still working through this in my brain and I don't know. But and I like, would – you know, I spent too much time with Socrates when I was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That's true. I'm just asking questions here. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. The Socratic method, of course. Um No, I would I would say that that there is a difference because um, collecting. So the competition when it comes to collecting is you're right. I think you're you're competing with others collections, but there's not like a real world battlefield scenario where your collection is tested against another person's collection Um, only in the sense of if we actually wanted to sell it and auction it. That's the only time there's a competition. So essentially eBay is the battlefield for collectors. But you have to – but but you're only a part of eBay if you want your collection to be a part of eBay and, and that whole thing. But in a video game scenario, you 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 can't go to eBay and sort of participate in eBay without actually being a competitor. But in a video game, you can participate in a video game without – you should be able to, I would argue, participate in a video game without necessarily having to bring with it a bunch of additional things. I don't know. I'm I'm breaking this apart. If if it, if this were a court of law, you would tear me apart. But there's probably something there where I'm where it's like it's it's basically the marketplace. There's a, there's the difference between collecting and loot boxes is a marketplace. There's not a marketplace if I have all of this loot. I can't resell that. But in a collection, you can. In eBay, you can, but you can't if you have a loot box. Now, if if there was a built-in mechanism to resell the loot boxes, and maybe there is. Again, I have, n- I'm totally so far removed from the whole loot box thing. Maybe there is, but I don't think there is. And to me, that seems like that's the big difference. But I don't, I don't know.
0: But if there's no monetary component if there's no marketplace for it does that hinder the argument that it's gambling whereas Mm -hmm. i would think that that would make the baseball card analogy even more gambling because i'm putting down tangible money for in exchange for some mystery box of things Mm -hmm. and i may get a item in this mystery box of things that's worth a hundred times the tangible amount of money that I put down or worth 1% of the tangible money that I put down.
1: Well, how about this then? I can't go to a, I can't go to you. Let's say you open up an overwatch loot box. I, I as far as I know, and again, this speaks, speaks to my ignorance, but I don't think I could reach out directly to you and say, Hey, I want to buy that particular item from you. I, I think in like, uh, Called uh, like uh, CS:GO, I think you can do this, but again, that's been regulated to some degree. Um, I don't think I can reach out directly to you and say you have this thing. Can I buy that from you? But you can do that with baseball cards and with other collectibles.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know which. I don't know which argument that helps and which one that hinders. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's interesting. I guess um, it's weird because. <laughs> On the surface level, like without having talked this through, and that that's why I think we make a great podcasting duo, because I, I don't know about these things, but the 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 my hot take is that I hate loot boxes because I think they are specifically designed to tap into those with gambling with with gambling addiction tendencies. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the heart of the argument that I would like to make. But I you're but but to the point of this conversation, I don't know that I can necessarily make that argument um, because there are, you know, letter of the law, like the, the word for word type of scenarios that kind of break it apart. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I hmm. I don't disagree that it's that it's gambling.
0: I, I really don't disagree that it's gambling. But the connection that I'm making in my head is if that's gambling, then so is buying a pack of baseball cards or a pack of Magic the Gathering cards or a pack of pokemon cards mm-hmm. and maybe maybe less so those because i think trying to think back to like the three weeks that i played magic but i think they had <laughs> like you got nine common cards and you got three uncommon cards and you got one rare card so really the gambling was just is my rare card a shitty rare card or a good rare card mm-hmm. i'm getting a rare card whereas in a pack of baseball cards it's just you get 15 of the 800 cards
1: in the set good luck go <laughs> It could also be. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how how much this plays out legally, but the truth is, hardly anybody buys baseball cards. So, in comparison to into comparison to video games, of course, today. But if you compared,
0: you know the the baseball card market in 1989, I bet it compares pretty favorable, favorable, favorably on a number of transactions basis to loot crates.
1: Maybe it's God, we're spending a lot of time on this, but maybe. Uh, well, so, I think
0: this is an interesting. Yeah, it's super dis- interesting. I think it's an interesting discussion, and I think it's an interesting kind of think piece for our listeners to think through as we're we're thinking through this on our own. Because to your your point about having added this right before the the record is, is good because this is something that we didn't, obviously as we sit here and ramble with each other, right. There's <laughs> sort of stream of consciousness, uh,
1: episode 29 <laughs> does. Okay. So, so, and I, and I bring up the fact that the, you know, we're spending a lot of time on this is because maybe there are certain stories that we, we might want to hold off on, but, uh, for the next episode, but I think we can still record at least all of it. Um, So it feels like to me, the inherent difference then is the accessibility of the marketplace maybe, because if you're, if you're buying a pack of cards, let's say, let's go back to the nineties or, or even today, probably if you're buying a pack of baseball cards, you open up your, your pack and you say, here's what I have. I can go online and I can see the values of each of these things that I have. And I could theoretically then sell those on eBay and say, okay, I want to actually get the amount of money that these are worth. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's possible with loot boxes. Could I open a loot box and immediately say, let me sell this for actual real world money immediately? You know, I, I, again, yeah. I don't know well, if that's even possible.
0: I mean, I do, I, I do know that I was listening to another podcast. It might've been Ian and Pat on the, the CU podcast, but I think they were talking about, like skins on uh, Fortnite and stuff going for, you know, 10, 20 bucks a pop. And I don't know if that's just buying them directly from the Fortnite store mm. or whatever, or if that's on a secondary market. But I, let's assume for this the case of this argument that there is no secondary market for loot box digital goods, because I think that's probably the case um, in most games anyway. I would think that then that... Is uh, an argument that the game publishing industry would use to say this is not gambling because you know when you're putting down that money that all you're getting is digital goods with no real world resale value. Whereas that's not the case were you to go down and buy a pack of video or a pack of baseball cards mm. in 1989.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying because accepting the fact that there's no resale value is probably at the core of a gambling thing. Right. Because I mean, because if you say like you're seeing this in front of a slot machine, every pull of the lever is saying I might get money. I might not. Um, but I guess, okay. So if we were saying, let's say, let's, let's say there was a casino and every pull of the slot machine gave you a bunch of baseball cards in the early (laughs) nineties. Um, Mm -hmm which is basically what you were doing when yeah, you yeah. buy a pack of baseball cards. And so is the reason that that seems absurd and okay because it's not at its it's not already currency. Like so in a slot machine, I'm pulling a slot machine, I'm getting actual money like right away. Like I know exactly what this thing is that I'm worth and I can exchange it at the counter and I will have I will walk out with a stack of bills based off of this thing that I've done. Whereas if you were pulling a lever and you were getting baseball cards, you would have to say, well, nope. these baseball cards aren't actually worth anything. They're only worth as much as people are willing to spend on them. Therefore, there's a secondhand marketplace that I have to actually go through in order to actually attribute value to these baseball cards. And so there's a lot more steps. Um, I'm wondering if there's There's more.
0: Yeah, there's more intrinsics value, right? Because if you're if you're at a slot machine and you or you're you're. Gambling really in any type uh, in a casino, you're not getting $100 bills aren't coming out of that slot machine. You're getting <laughs> clay chips coming out of that slot that's machine. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And then you have to go and exchange
1: those clay chips for the actual money. And you have now, to trust that those, the casino will actually pay you for those clay chips when yeah, in reality absolutely. they could say, no, I'm not going to buy those.
0: Yep. But now <laughs> those those clay chips do have a a specifically ascribed value value imprinted on them, right? Mm-hmm. That where this chip is the chip that's worth $50 and it's worth $50 today. And tomorrow, if you bring it back, it will be worth $50. If I get the Ken Griffey Jr. Rookie card, it's worth $200 today. And tomorrow he gets busted for, you know, uh, steroids or beating up his wife or whatever. And now suddenly that card is worth five cents. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I think maybe, Maybe that's a component of it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I can see that because then it does play into the fact that, um, again, with loot boxes, you're saying that you the, the 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 developer is saying that we don't we don't ascribe a particular value. Like in a casino scenario, the casino is saying we are telling you it's worth this a particular amount. But in the video, in the baseball card, and in the gambling uh, or in the uh, loot box scenario, like the publisher is never really saying that it's worth this particular Mm -hmm. amount. Although in a lot of cases, you can actually, there is a dollar amount associated with various in-game credits. So maybe they, maybe that's part of it is actually the publisher is saying there is a particular monetary value. It's not the market saying it, it's the publisher saying it. So maybe if the publisher were to dissolve themselves from that actual, like, monetary equivalent then and let the market totally 100% decide it then almost could they then dissolve themselves from any responsibility
0: I I don't know I'd have to think that through mm-hmm. I think but switching gears slightly I know in <laughs> in a in a previous episode we we were talking about some of the other countries who were moving to to regulate loot boxes loot crates whatever um and one of the items that we discussed in that episode was the publication of odds. There was Mm. no knowledge in a lot of these cases ahead of time. What are my odds of getting the, the, the good gun versus what are my odds of getting the, the crappy nurse hat? Right. Um, And I think a lot of that has been changed because of those rules in, in, I think it was Belgium and Netherlands that started to say, Hey, we, we need to have some, some transparency here in so that people know what the odds are so that they know, okay, full disclosure, if I'm buying a loot crate for $10 and I'm trying to get the thing that I value most, what is my likelihood of actually getting that thing that I value most? And now, I don't know if that's in place across the board or if that's just something that is, you know, people are, are still striving for, but I don't know that that differentiation really separates the loot crates from the, the baseball card scenario either. While um, you know, baseball card companies were notorious for never publishing the number of you know their print run for the cards and it's rumored that upper deck basically printed sheets upon sheets upon sheets of just the ken griffey jr rookie card um you know as as the 1989 season went on just so that they could continue you know they basically made production wave after production wave after production wave and there's no Uniformity among how many cards of each uh, one of the 800 cards in the set have been made. So it's not you have a 1 in 800 chance of getting the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. It's a complete mystery what your odds are. Um, Which is the, the I think part of the thing that some folks are hanging their hat on, on the loot crate uproar.
1: So earlier you had said something specifically about just because something hadn't been brought up or tested in a court of law in the past doesn't necessarily indicate that it should Mm -hmm. be excluded from current uh, investigation. I I actually wondered if you were going to (laughs) go. Is it possible that that's the case here is where I don't know if there's been any precedent where people have tried to sue uh, playing card or I'm sorry, a, a trading card manufacturers for, uh, you know, for, for this similar thing, but maybe just because it hasn't been tested in the past doesn't necessarily mean that it, maybe, maybe we would look upon trading cards now as a, actually, in fact, that is gambling. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that might be, I think that might be a key component. I think as we become an ever more litigious society and as we become an ever more regulated society, um, you know, you look at the way society was in the 1980s versus the way it is today. And they are two completely different s- societies with two completely sets of expectations and two completely sets of, of social mores. Um, and I think you're, I think you're really hitting onto something here. I think if you were to take and make a baseball card craze today, I think you may have the same sort of reaction from parents and and so forth as, as you do here in loot crates. Another thing that I wonder is the kids that were collecting baseball cards in the 1980s by and large had parents who were at least familiar with collecting baseball cards in the 1950s, the 1960s. That was a hobby that really linked those two generations together. And I would say Kids today did not have you know anybody older than our generation and maybe a little bit older who didn't grow up with either video games and especially not video games that had you know some sort of a add-on chance based add-on functionality built into them
1: mhm man that's that was a a conversation eh yeah, yeah, that was
0: <laughs> one of our longer, uh, random, yeah. um, random topics. I, I like I, it. I like I, it. I, that can honestly almost be a main event here <laughs> as we, as we reached the roughly hour and a half point, we haven't gotten to the cool stuff going away. We haven't gotten to the cool stuff showing
1: up. Maybe, maybe what we can do is do a really quick hot take on all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's you uh, so starting in the in the cool stuff going away news, Valve is discontinuing its Steam Link hardware. In fact, they're going on crazy clearances uh, for two dollars and fifty cents. I happened to this is normally like a fifty dollar product. Um, I had picked it up actually for the two fifty uh, because I thought it would be a fun little thing to tinker with, but essentially a way to play your PC games on any TV in your house. Um, I'm cool. I, I I'm willing to look into that. I'm willing to figure out if that's if that's gonna work well. I'm actually looking forward to playing some of my old Steam games on that Valve uh, Steam Link hardware. So yeah, we'll see. I
0: bought one two years back at ten dollars on Amazon uh, when they were deep discounting them. I haven't. I hooked it up and haven't really u- done anything with it since then. I do have a couple of my PC gaming friends who've used it and said they were really impressed with the, the streaming technology. Yeah. Um, they said they weren't expecting it to work as well as it does. So someday, someday I'll actually dig it out and, and uh, well, I guess it's hooked up. So I don't have to dig it out. But someday <laughs> I'll figure out, figure out how to actually use it.
1: Without crappy, uh, Fallout seventy six is. I'm I'm looking forward to going back and playing Fallout three on the PC and Fallout New Vegas on the PC. Those are uh, both games that I played first on the PC and only on the PC. Also, looking forward to going back and playing Genital Jousting. Mm, uh, very yes. very good uh, important game to play. So yeah, well, and
0: you know what you'll be able to use with those games. You'll be
1: able to use a Prima video game guide to play them. Unfortunately, I won't be. He you jerk. You're just reminding me. Uh, yeah. So the Prima shutting down. Uh, the video game strategy company, uh, strategy guide company, completely shutting down. Um, kind of, kind of, kind of sad. Um, I, you know, as a as a print media lover, uh, kind of sad. Growing up, I didn't have a ton of them. I had a few strategy guides here and there. I have a few now, but I would say that largely the strategy guide uh, industry uh, basically allowed me to experience video games in between actually experiencing video games. Um, more so than it offered a strategy component and a walkthrough type of component. Um, it really just allowed me to experience video games in between actual play sessions. Um, and with YouTube and with you know other uh, video games media like magazines and things like that, like I just, and, and the internet, of course, uh, you know, IGN and all those types of online sources, I just don't need it anymore. So I wonder if the, the shutting down of it, I think is kind of sad. I
0: have a ton of game guides and I always found it, to be fun you know going flipping through them seeing the artwork seeing the game world maps seeing the item charts you know it was almost like an entire booklet of uh the the posters that you would get with a role-playing game in in the nintendo or the super nintendo era um with them shutting down they had obviously purchased brady games a couple of years ago so that really takes out the really it, it Collapses the industry. I mean, the industry was probably already collapsed, but it really takes the, the main player out. Piggyback Games still produces a, a small number of game guides. But I wonder if this industry effectively going away um, will create some nostalgia for it and, mm. you know, will, will increase the, the likelihood of game guides being collector, being more sought after by collectors two, three, four, five, ten years down the road.
1: Yeah, I would say probably unless, uh, if, if reprints were never a thing. So basically if, if they weren't continually printing some of these game guides year after year after year as demand increased, I would imagine they probably were doing like an initial print run and that was kind of it. And they've been doing that for a while. So to meaning that the scarcity was probably a scarcity that already existed, um, before the shutting down. But I, but I don't know. That's a good question. looks like something new for you to collect. Yeah, yeah.
0: A, I I need to cut that off. I need to nip that more. Adding more things to collect in the bud. That's that's not a thing that can happen. Uh, so yes we, we know what else is not a thing that's going to happen. I do. Gosh. Sony mm-hmm. is not going to be at the 2019 E3, and they skipped doing a 2018 end of the year PlayStation Experience event. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the first time in the show's 25 years that Sony will not be at the event. Um, and I guess it just kind of makes me wonder if this is they're skipping it because they don't really have anything new to show and they're just trying to save the cost. Or if they're just sort of holding off and turning their focus toward a late 2019 reveal of the PlayStation 5. Or is this just a sign of the times that the big trade show is sort of passe and not really doesn't really add anything to the industry or to the players in the industry. I tend to think that it's probably a little bit of the latter. Mm -hmm. Um, In I I work in the, the entertainment industry and there used to be a lot of trade shows in the, the video uh, entertainment space, the cable space, the movie space. And those have largely gone away as well over the last three or four years. Um, and I think just the, the amount and the E the ease of which companies can get in touch with directly to consumers, things like PlayStation experience, things like the Nintendo direct, um, Nintendo directs are cheap to do. They're efficient. They're effective. I think we're going to see these big shows like E3 that are unwieldy expensive for companies to take part in and, um, prone to leaks you know, there's all kinds of downsides to things like E3 as opposed to uh, something more direct like a Nintendo Direct.
1: 100% agree. I have nothing to add. Uh, let's move on to cool stuff coming. Cool stuff. This this gets to the Resident Evil reboot that uh, that that you felt would make a good uh, conversation point, and I agree. Hmm.
0: Resident Evil.
1: I I love Resident Evil. Yeah, I really do. How could you and not? I know.
0: I know you love video game movies.
1: Yeah. I I have no problem with them. Uh, In fact, uh, actually, when I was at the uh, video game museum uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday, they had an entire exhibit uh, based on 25 years after the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, and they had a bunch of props for the movie. And that was sort of the first moment when I was like, this 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 museum is really reaching for stuff to talk about because it was really, <laughs> it was really dumb. But yeah, I, I think I'm always in favor of more video game movies. Uh, they're never great. Uh, but it it sort of l- continues to led, uh lend credence to the idea of video games being a mainstream thing. and they are. but I still feel like there's a lot of pushback from people saying, no, they're not. They're still a, a niche. But this sort of is another every every video game movie releases another step saying, no, they're not a niche. It's actually a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah. And the I mean, we've talked about before the video game industry is larger, produces more revenue than the motion picture industry does now and has for the last several years. So, I mean, I I think there is a legitimate concern that video game movies are usually terrible and kind of middling quality movies at the very best. And I would say that the resident evil series with Mila Jovovich are probably some of the better ones, but I will say that those movies don't feel resident evilly to me. Right. I think, um, uh, those movies felt more like, uh, sci-fi action movies mm-hmm. to me than a, than a, a resident evil game. And that's maybe that's because, when I think about Resident Evil, I think of Resident Evil One. I think of games like the new Resident Evil, Resident Evil Seven Biohazard. Those are the Resident Evil that I'm fond of. Resident Evil Four through Six, which are more kind of the the run and gun action third person shooters, are not all that much of my cup of tea. Um, so, but I think that the horror Resident Evil actually would produce a pretty good cinematic experience. I think it it has um, all of the sort of hallmarks of classic horror cinema. It's got the spooky setting. It's got the, I mean, really the first Resident Evil is almost kind of like House on Haunted Hill with zombies. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, it, it is a, a classic haunted house tale
1: mm-hmm. with super cool laser grids. i always thought that was the weirdest thing about that movie is uh why would the house like tease the people i mean like if you have the capability of creating a laser grid that's going to cut people and they're impossible to escape from why waste their time by doing two versions of lesser grid laser grids that they can dodge Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little weird to me, but, uh,
0: it is, it is the, the remake of house and haunted hill was not great. The original was, was quite spooky though. It was more of a true haunted house type movie than the, uh, the, the grid, laser
1: grid hallway remake. My only big, my only big concern with it is if they are, uh, you know, yes, resident evil seven and older Resident Evil to make a great cinematic experience but that's kind of what they did with the game already so I'm I'm worried that they're not really going to be adding anything to it but you know, I could be wrong. I'm always I'm always willing to be uh proven otherwise and like I said, I think video game movies in general are worth having. They're fun romps usually. Yeah. So they
0: really are. I guess the my biggest concern, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about this. I'd love to see it happen. We don't know a lot about it yet. IMDB, I went and looked it up, uh really doesn't have anything on the movie other than the fact that the, the screenwriter is Greg Russo. Um, there's no cast yet. There's no director yet. So it's hard to get your hopes too high. Uh, I looked up Greg Russo. I was unfamiliar with the name. So I looked up his uh, CV, as it were, on IMDb, and he's only screenwritten two other screenplays uh, before this Resident Evil Reboot. One of them was called Category 6, which was a disaster film about a hurricane, which I don't believe was ever created. Uh, At least according to IMDB, it was never actually produced. And the other one was Mortal Kombat which uh, also was never produced. And that was also listed as the, the only thing on IMDb about that was that it's supposed to be a total restart of the entire Mortal Kombat motion picture property based on the video game franchise. No connection in any narrative way to the previous cinematic outings. And that's kind of what I keep hearing about this Resident Evil reboot. If you just replaced everything that says Mortal Kombat in that quote with Resident Evil... Uh, it sounds eerily similar. So I hope that this isn't isn't just vaporware. But so far, Greg Russo's CV is not leading me to believe that it's anything but vaporware.
1: I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I hope you're wrong, too. I always hope that you're wrong. You know what else I hope is not (laughs) vaporware. (laughs) Yes, I do. Actually, I know exactly. Uh, But but please continue. No, I think you should tell the
0: public. Tell the fine folks what what we don't want. You're just
1: for forcing her. me to have to s- pronounce this dude's name, aren't you?
0: Mm, yes, I don't want to say it at all.
1: <laughs> so, the uh, creator, uh, I would assume, uh, uh, maybe producer, developer, uh, director of uh, many Legend of Zelda games. I'm assuming <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, this he, is fun. <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, Aiji Anomwa. Uh, I, anoma. Anoma.
0: I, I think I think the last name is
1: Aonuma. I was way off. Because, because
0: Japanese don't have, I think the Japanese language doesn't have combined oh. own, uh, letters. Each vowel is its own syllable. So I think it's Iiji Aonuma. Oh, that's helpful. And, and uh, I am probably completely wrong about all of
1: that. Nope, so. nope. You've gone on record. Uh, so, apparently, he has seemingly teased a Skyward Sword port for the Nintendo Switch, uh, which I am super excited about. Um, I will never get tired of Nintendo Switch ports, I think we should port everything and, and, and all of the games ever created for the Switch, I would be totally fine with that, I would be happy to pay for games that I already have on the Switch, um absolutely love to see this I've never played Skyward Sword it's one of the few Zelda games I've never played um, I skipped the entire Wii U generation or Wii generation I think it was on the Wii um skipped the entire generation um, and I think there if if I my reading of this game is correct a lot of people were just very very not happy with the motion controls forcing mm-hmm. to use the motion controls and so if they can get around that um bring it to a new audience I think it would do exactly what the Switch has been good at doing which is Telling people, hey, there was some great stuff in past generations, but yeah, we really buffed this the hardware, so uh or biffed the hardware. So let's uh give these games to you on a better piece of hardware um because they're great games, I would imagine. I agree with literally everything (laughs) you said there. (laughs) Great. All right, moving on. Uh Microsoft launching Xbox One console without a disk drive. I'm sure you love this idea.
0: I love the idea. I uh, know this is... Uh, I mean, it, it's bound to happen, right? It's an inevitability that physical gaming is going away and that we are headed toward an all-digital gaming future. And I touched on this in the, the previous segment and how discs are effectively a medium to... They're a medium of, of um, license protection, right? And, and license transfer at this point. And we've talked in previous episodes about how... Game publishers want one thing for the future, and that is to get rid of the used market. They want to eliminate it completely because it is a, they view that as a drain on their revenue potential. Um, This is step one. Microsoft tried to do this, really, for all intents and purposes, when they launched the Xbox One. Um, I think it's probably, they will probably find a public more accepting of it and it being more palatable at this stage in the Xbox One's uh sort of this generation's death throes as we start talking about whatever the next Xbox is and the PlayStation 5 um I think this is probably the biggest news of this disk Xbox One. It's being pitched as a cost-saving measure. It's going to come out at 200 bucks. Um r- reportedly in the spring of 2019. But I think what this is really setting up is to have whatever the next Xbox console is to definitely be all digital. I think this is Microsoft trying to ease people into what they were trying to do at the outset of this generation.
1: And it's a smart way to do it. I mean, uh, without it, rather than launching a brand new console being disk diskless, so that people are mm-hmm. having to deal with multiple changes in their paradigms. Um, yeah, release something like this to get people's uh, appetite for it. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not totally against it. I'm obviously a physical media lover as well, but I'm also more than physical media lover. I'm a video game lover. So uh, if that's the way it's going, that's the way it's going. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, if that's the way it's
0: going, I'm out of the game buying, the new game buying world, and just focusing on my retro gaming backlog Mm because – there will be very very
1: very few games i buy digitally and you have plenty of games to satiate your your playing so i think you could play a new game every day for the rest of your life and probably be fine and probably my kids lives yeah there you go <laughs> so yeah. you'll be good yeah. you'll be good i will
0: be good you know what this was good. Yes, this was great. It was great to get back chatting with you. Get back to podcast recording. It has been too long. Uh, we apologize, to everybody, for the hiatus. Real life got in the way on kind of both of our fronts, and uh, just a lot of stuff being juggled. So, or you're welcome we for back. the hiatus,
1: maybe. Well, yeah,
0: yeah that that could be too. <laughs> but you know, if if you I don't know. I got nothing.
1: <laughs> it is late. My brain is mush. It's
0: <laughs> late. I'm, I'm ready for to open up one of those fitty beers. <laughs> They're good. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm entirely too sober for 1141 at night. <laughs> Caleb, why don't you let everybody know where they can find us
1: yeah of course i will do that so uh you can find me i'll go first because i'm more important uh you can (laughs) find me that's a fact (laughs) all over the YouTube (laughs) superstar youtube superstar with several several dozen subscribers uh you can find me all over the internet what is what is the medal for the play button that they give you at several dozen subscribers Uh, it's just like a Sherwin williams painted beige balsa wood play button mm, so it's like that. it's like that. it's pretty impressive <laughs> i can't wait to see that. it's i can't wait to get one uh, <laughs> it's uh you can find me all over the internet as caleb j ross uh one word the letter j not the word j Caleb J. Ross. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube. I'm very um, probably most active on YouTube. Instagram as well. My website, CalebJRoss.com. You can find Scott as VG, as in video game, Collectaholic on pretty much all social media, Twitter specifically, Instagram definitely, Facebook, and his website is VGCollectaholic.com. You can find all of the online presences for this Podcast specifically um under the moniker masters of unlocking so masters of unlocking.com MOU podcast on Twitter because Masters of Unlocking podcast already takes up half of your Twitter space. So MOU podcast on Twitter. Instagram is also Masters of Unlocking and Facebook is Facebook forward slash Masters of Unlocking. Please, uh, if you're listening to us and you've lasted this long through our diatribes, you obviously enjoy us. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a quick thumbs up. Give us a quick uh, thumbs up on the platforms that allow thumbs up. If they don't allow thumbs up, just giving a thumbs up to the screen, probably not helpful, but we appreciate it. Uh, also, But you'll look like the Fallout kid. <laughs> you'll look like the Fallout kid. And as we've discussed in this episode, Fallout's in a great position right now. It's uh, so great. So review us, though, if you wouldn't mind. Review us, give us some stars, whatever it is that that platform of choice allows for reviews. Please do that. We would really, really, really appreciate it. And tell your friends and your family that we're back uh, because we need them to know.
0: Yeah, we're back. Back again.
1: Shady's back. And back. back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. You... <laughs> Tell a friend.
0: Now they're definitely not coming back.
1: Uh, Mission
0: accomplished. Great. Folks, thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you next time on episode 30 of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. Peace out.